0: Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you could do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com.
1: Hi, my name is Dylan Arvella. I am a Portugal supporter from Australia. Uh, Glad to be back on the show. Looking forward to discussing what has been a fantastic World Cup. You can find me on Twitter at Dylan Arvella.
2: Hi, I'm Geto Tawelen, Swansea City fan, and for the purposes of this podcast, the uh, neutral view uh, of the World Cup, or reasonably neutral anyway.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, Jake uh, Jackman will be on with a little English context for us a little bit later in this show, uh, but let's just get started now. Um, FIFA president Gianni Infantino uh, is on the record saying, "Is this was the best World Cup ever. Um we, the three of us, have not been around since the very first World Cup. But I'm wondering if you guys have, have kind of agreed with that and that is, is this the best World Cup you've seen in your lifetime?
1: It's a big call for Gianni. It's interesting considering it's his first World Cup as president. So maybe there's a bit of a, <laughs> a yeah, little coincidence there. Um, and I don't know if he's been around for all the World Cups either. However, um, on a personal standpoint, 2006 stands out for mine. Portugal made the final four. Um, and that was for the first and only time, the first time since 1966, where they came third with the great Isebio. And also, Portugal qualified, uh, not Portugal, Australia qualified for the first time since 1974. Um, they also managed uh, their first goal, their first win, their first progression to the knockout stages, where, of course, we were uh, inverted, in uh, quotation marks robbed by the, um, the Italians. And we should have went on to win and, and lift the 2006 World Cup. So, 2006 was definitely a personal favourite for mine. That being said, as a neutral, uh, considering that most of my t- both of my sides were knocked out by the end of the first knockout round, I think the 2018 World Cup was a really really engaging tournament. And I think that uh, I feel I feel as if I was grouped right into the right until the very end and. I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the way that social media dealt with it Um, It seemed a very gifable or a very memeable World Cup. And I don't know, 2014 was perhaps the first where everyone was sort of used to using these different online platforms and whatnot. And now this one was was, uh, the next step along in that sense. And I felt that whereas I probably didn't watch as many games compared to 2014. I felt like I was more connected with it because I, I was listening to a, a string of podcasts, daily podcasts, about three or four each day uh, via the World Cup. There's all sorts of stuff over Twitter. So I thought that in that sense it was uh, really brilliant. And on the field it was, you know, drama all over the place right and up right up until the uh, the final, which, of course, France got over Croatia with a number of various and crazy incidents.
2: Um, for me, uh, I'd have to say this is probably the best World Cup of my lifetime. Um, I, I can remember every World Cup back to 1998, but I, I think this one's had so much drama, um, so many kind of memorable moments and memorable matches that I think this is probably um, the the best that, that I can remember. Um, I don't know if the low expectations pre-tournament had anything to do with that as well. I think, you know, uh, before South Africa and before Brazil, I can definitely remember a sense like the, there was something big going to happen. Uh, and and in South Africa, it certainly, certainly did live up to expectations. And I think uh, I've, I've been reading as well that a lot of people don't have the best memories of of Brazil from a, from a footballing point of view. And that, that surprised me, if I'm honest, because I thought, brazil was a very good world cup but maybe it didn't live up to expectations um this was definitely been a good one but um uh, and of course i wasn't alive um for for this world cup but i think the award for best world cup ever probably goes to 1954 and i'm going to tell you why it's because there were only 26 games in the entire tournament but there were 126 goals you had an average of five goals per game compared to this world cup where you had an average of 2.6 oh, garbage game. it's you look at the score lines and there were just these incredibly entertaining matches these tons of four twos and set there was a seven five in the quarter final and of course you had one of the best um international teams of all time in uh, hungary the magnificent Modjas, um who Really play, devised this style of football, which has become kind of the blueprint for for, for modern day um, tacticians. Um, but they, of course, didn't win in one of the great final shocks. They took the they were two 0 up within eight minutes, but lost three two to an unfancied West Germany team who had shocked everybody by reaching the final in their first tournament back in um, from from the sporting wilderness after World War Two um it was just a tournament with just so many stories um and uh even though of course i wasn't alive back in 1954 and i have no memories of it and i've only seen the most limited of, uh, of footage of it um i mean it just sounds like the craziest tournament ever so i i'll say that that is actually the best tournament um the the, the well the best world cup we've ever had
0: yeah p- pulling out the stats there for us Ghetto. we love that here um yeah, it, it does seem a little biased, as uh, Dylan was pointing out for Infatina to say this one the be- was the best one ever, but it is incredible that there was only one nil nil draw the whole time, um, and there was p- certainly plenty of fascinating football throughout. All right, now we're going to move into questions for each of our guests. We'll lead in with Portugal and Dylan, of course. Um, I was just curious, your takes on uh, Portugal's performance in the tournament on the whole. Were you pleased, a little disappointed, uh, obviously going out in the round of 16 Ah, uh, to Uruguay was how they exited the tournament.
1: Look, obviously the round of sixteen isn't as far as I would like the side to, to have gotten. However, we did go out to a side that we were fairly evenly matched in. In Uruguay, um, and on the day, their best players were the ones that performed. Cavani was incredible uh, in that particular match. Their two centre backs were were did really well in nullifying a lot of Portugal's attacks and. In that sense, sort of like with with a lot of teams, it comes down to who you draw in the uh, next round. and I thought the next match the Uruguay played against France was a showed how how good Uruguay were and took a quite a, an exceptional Frank, France performance to knock them out of the competition as well as a unfortunate goalkeeping error. But when you look at the tournament as a whole for Portugal, the the spain game obviously stands out stands out as the as the exceptional match um it felt like a win the the way that portugal managed to fight back and earn the draw especially with that incredible cristiano ronaldo free kick right at the end there however um I'd be kidding myself to say that portugal were the better side in that particular match spain dominated for most of the match, and when they did dominate, I, I was surprised at, <laughs> um, that, that we managed to keep them uh, down to three goals. You look at the Morocco match, and that's probably an example of a game where where the side was perhaps lucky to come away with with the three points. Ronaldo scored the header earlier. It was a fantastic header, absolutely textbook header, but um, had it not been for... Morocco lacking a striker. They had a number of creative players in midfield. Out wide, Amrabat, who obviously it's a long time ago now, but many people would probably remember that he was actually getting cussed and probably shouldn't have been playing, which makes it even more incredible that he put in perhaps a performance of his career. Um, But yeah, as I mentioned, we were probably lucky to escape with the win there. But then again, in the Iran game, we drew that match. And it's my opinion that we probably should have won that match. because I don't think that we were. I felt we were harshly had a penalty given against us for a handball on Cedric. Um, we've seen a lot of incidents, uh, incidences like that uh, throughout the tournament. But in saying that, Cristiano Ronaldo had a penalty saved. Um, he was also lucky to stay on the pitch. In many people's eyes, and I can see where definitely see where they're coming from. But in the end, if we if um, that penalty right at the end wasn't given to Iran. Portugal would be top of the group. We would play Russia in the next round. We know Russia knocked out Spain, so it isn't a given. Uh, but you know, I'd definitely be, be. I would have definitely backed Portugal to get through. Get through Russia, and you never know. If, obviously, that was the uh, so-called easier side of the draw. So you never know. It could have been a a uh, Euro 2016 run if we did. We didn't concede that penalty later on against Iran.
0: Yeah, that, that um, Morocco match you mentioned was a really interesting one. I know in the States, somebody on the commentary team uh, was talking about how Portugal shouldn't have struggled as much against Morocco as they did. But worth noting, Morocco had the best defense in all of qualifying. So uh, a win against yeah. them at all was a good result. But yeah, the, that last day of that group was pretty crazy. Um, something else that you mentioned, uh, basically at the start of our World Cup shows, was the aging... Uh, nature of this portuguese side especially at center back with Pepe and Font um both being 33 plus um what do you think this squad will look like come the next year as obviously where you're reigning champions and maybe even the next world cup
1: so yeah I, I did raise that that point and i'll actually chuck in our third choice center back Bruno Alves who's uh 36 37 years old as well and after that there's a real dearth in um, options at center back and I'll go through some of the players that uh, are unlikely to feature for Portugal after this tournament. We've got the uh, third-choice keeper, Beto, but he he had about 20 caps for Portugal. Bruno Alves, as I mentioned, Jose Font, that was probably his last tournament, and I doubt he'll um, feature in the Nations League later on this year. Manuel Fernandes, who came late to the national setup, He's actually a really good um, attacking midfielder, but uh, came a bit too late to really make an impact on the national stage. And... This one I say with a heavy heart, uh, Ricardo Koreshma, uh, he obviously one of the moments of the tournament with his outside the foot uh goal against uh Iran in that final group stage match. He's 34 now. I'm not sure if he's the sort of player that will be able to perform in uh two years' time, but I hope that he I hope that he does. And the interesting point here is Fernando Santos the coach, he's contracted until 2020 and depending on how we go in that tournament, we'll probably determine whether he takes us through to the Qatar World Cup. Uh, One player that I'm very confident will be there is Cristiano Ronaldo, of course signing for Juventus uh, just last Mm. week. I I actually feel, and I think I might have messaged this to you, Kevin, that I would not be surprised if at the age of 41 he's still part of the Portuguese squad because he's a player that of course, looks after himself incredibly well. Um, I'm very interested to see how he adapts to life in Italy. I'd imagine he's going to transform into an out-and-out striker, even more so than he is now. So I think he'll be able to maintain himself for another uh, five or six years at a fairly high level. And he's not a player... It's interesting because Tim Cahill actually retired from the Australian national, national team two days ago. And Ronaldo, obviously much better player than Tim Cahill, but It'll be a similar, similar sort of, similar sort of thing in a player that won't really be kicked out of the national setup until he's ready to go. And if he's still playing, like he could be playing in the MLS and, and by the time the USA World Cup comes comes around. But hmm. he's a player that could still make an impact. But anyway, on to the next two, uh, two to four years. And I, I actually mentioned this up, up in the uh, aftermath of Euro 2016. There is plenty of players that. That are coming through, especially in attack. You look at Gedesh, didn't have a great World Cup this time around, but I think in two years he'll be a player, 25 years old, and I think you're really, really promising attacking talent. Gelson, who didn't also didn't really light, light things on fire in this tournament, but he's uh, heavily linked to signing with Atletico Madrid in the next couple of days. I think he's a player that's going to really develop over the next few years. Uh, Andre Silva, Bruno Finanj, uh Ronnie Lopez, Monaco's player of the season. Um, Renato Sanchez, of course, he's had a rough couple of years. Uh, however, he's still an incredibly talented player, and I'd like to think that he's uh, going to be able to get his career back on track and be an integral member of Portugal's side for the next decade. Diego Iota, player we're, we're going to see in the Premier League this season with Wolves. Yeah. Um, but then, as you mentioned, the defence, it's, it's a concern. I think Pepe might be there at uh, the next European Championships. He'll be uh, 36, I believe, or 37 at that particular stage. But after that, the young centre-back that we took to this tournament was Ruben Diaz. He didn't get any minutes in this particular tournament, but he's a promising player, but he's an out-and-out regular in the Portuguese league at the moment, so it'll be interesting to see whether he is able to make a step up uh, to to that level and then to the national stage. And then you're looking at players like in the in the centre back positions like Ricardo Ferreira or Edgar Miguel uh, Fonseca. There's there's not many not many household names, so it'll be very interesting to see how Santos really adapts his style because obviously he likes to set up a tight defensive unit but if his two center backs aren't up to it uh he might have to be for he might be forced into changing the way that the side plays
0: it would be incredible if we saw Ronaldo stick around that long um but as you said if there's anybody that has that ability it'd be him and there's so much talent in this Portuguese side that is young that I, I think that they should be Uh, Pretty good contenders going forward, but uh, we'll address that here at the very end of the show. Uh, Coming to you now, Gitto, obviously, um, sorry, Wales, not at the tournament, but you've uh, played the role of neutral throughout uh, these World Cup shows, so we're going to ask you to do that again. Um, Which team uh, was the biggest surprise and the most pleasing for you uh, at this year's World Cup?
2: Ooh, um, biggest surprise, probably Russia. Uh, if I'm being honest, there's no way that I ever expected them to to reach the quarterfinal, and we can argue about how um, how easy their run was, etc. But um, you know, pre pre tournament, I was looking at them and thinking, Joe, they're going to go out in the group stages. They could, yeah, you know, they, they they could they could really really struggle and be embarrassed in their home tournament, and they they did the complete opposite. They you know beat Spain, um, had a very strong group stage on the whole. Um, and then you know, were were the the, the flip of a coin really um, away from making it to the semi-finals when you think they went out on penalties? Um, so I, I think they were the best surprise. But the team that I enjoyed watching most was Belgium. Um, I just whenever Roberto, I've got a soft spot for Roberto Martinez anyway because of all he's done for Swansea. Um, but genuinely, I mean, when when he is when he gets it right at a a team, the football can be absolutely crazy, but it's always brilliant to watch. And they have played some amazing attacking football this tournament. And um, they've just always been a a joy to watch. I think he's tweaked with formations, which has always been interesting. Um, The fact, I I mean, I never expected Nasser Chadley to be one of the stars of that team pre tournament. Um, They've just been a, um, a, a massive box of surprises and, in a way it's it's a shame that they didn't make it to the final because um as entertaining as the final was uh, you know Belgium would have been great finalists too um and um perhaps this was the best chance that they, that this golden generation had of making it to the final and and they 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 were just, they were just brilliant to watch i thought
0: yeah. Interesting for you to bring up the whole golden generation thing. Cause it surely was, and it's a little worrying for them. I'm sure that kind of like Portugal, their defense is getting up there in years. Um, but I saw a very harsh post. I forget which Belgian journalist it was, but they posted the team photo for Belgium, uh, with a bronze hue and called it the bronze generation. Cause they came third. I was like, Oh, that is gosh. Yeah, I know. I was like, Oh man, that, that, that cuts pretty deep. Um, On the player side, uh, similarly, who impressed you and who did you find the most pleasing to watch?
2: Um, Joe Luka Modric was, I think, almost everybody's player of the tournament um, by the the looks of social media. Um, He's a player everybody loves watching anyway. Um, And it was nice that he got that extra recognition at the end of the tournament and people were saying, yes, he was the player of the tournament. And... um, that he got, he got that kind of kudos because um, so often in these kind of tournaments it is the attacking players who, who get all the attention. And a player like Modric who doesn't score the most goals, doesn't um, you know, do, do, doesn't show. He's not he's not the most the biggest flair player, but he is just a joy to watch on the ball um, and just controls midfield. Um, I, th- I think he has probably cemented his. uh, reputation as the best midfielder in the world at the moment um and and the fact that Messi and Ronaldo went out early in the competition meant that uh, somebody like Modric could get the recognition Modric isn't you know you get the feeling that had Ronaldo or Messi made the final regardless of how good a tournament they would have had they would have been just the automatic choices for players of the tournament um so um It it was great to see a player like Modric who who was consistently fantastic and and Croatia's best player and uh, just phenomenal to watch, getting that kind of recognition. Um, So for me, he was the standout player of the tournament, even though um, I thought from from the winner's point of view, I thought Varane was uh, excellent throughout the tournament and a really big reason why France was so good at the back and so tough to break down. Um, and even when France weren't always brilliant to watch, they were um, extremely organised at the back. And I also thought Paul Pogba had um, a brilliant World Cup. Um, really, show I mean, in 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 the Premier League, I think fans have been on his back because of his price tag, and he hasn't really set. He, he hasn't really excelled uh, at the very top the way people maybe expect him to, but. Um I thought I thought this France team really found a system which suited him, which wasn't ma- wasn't maybe the case in Europe twenty sixteen and really m- made the best of his talent. Um so loved watching him and of course Mbappe is one of the stories of this World Cup too. Um to do what he's done at his age. Um it's it's incredibly
0: exciting. Yeah, and the way he showed up against Belgium really put the world on blast as if People didn't already know how good Mbappe was. Um, you mentioned Luka Modric there, and his performances at this World Cup have started an interesting conversation surrounding him as a potential Ballon d'Or candidate and potentially even winner. Do you think that his performances were good enough to warrant that kind of conversation?
2: I think he could. I mean, he's he's a Champions League winner, and he, you could make a good argument, actually, that he was Real Madrid's best player in, in that competition, too, last season. Um, Ronaldo would, you know... Make an argument otherwise, um, but uh, you know he's he's won a Champions League. He has reached a World Cup final in an unfancied team for the uh, in the World Cup, uh, and and you could argue he was one of the stars of of both of those teams. Um, I I think it would be quite refreshing for him to be considered, but not as in a tokenistic way. Um, it's just it's so difficult for a player of his style to really compete against a Ronaldo or Messi, but you know who's who's to say that just because you're not one of the uh, you know more eye catching names or one of, one of the more spectacular performers that you that you're not one of the best players i mean you could make an argument that that luca modric does his job in the team as well if not better than cristiano ronaldo does in 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 the team um so i i i say he's right up there with ronaldo and messi for contenders for um for this year's Ballon d'Or. And um, he, he, I, I I get the feeling with Modric that it's only very recently that he's getting um, the widespread acclaim and recognition that, that he has deserved throughout his career. When he was at Spurs, he was brilliant to watch, mm-hmm. um, went to Real Madrid, and he's just consistently been fantastic and a key player in this team. And, and I do think he's now the best midfielder in the world. So why shouldn't he be considered just because he's not a striker or an attacking position. Um, you know, it, it, I, 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 for, for me, yeah, well, why not give him the ballon door? I think you could make an argument that he has been the best player in the world.
0: And I do think, and you may agree, that it would be good to set a precedent of non-goal scorers being able to win the award again, finally.
2: Oh, definitely. I, that's that's difficult because they're the ones that make the headlines, but um, it, it would show, you know, uh, a bit of... <laughs> I, I think these. I think these days, especially when everything gets analysed so much more, and we we read so much more into statistics and player performances on on, on a much deeper level. I think a player like Modric can get that extra recognition instead of just people saying, "Ah, oh, well, Messi scored 40 goals and Ronaldo scored 40 goals, so they're the they're the obvious choices." Um, as brilliant as they are as footballers, you know. Um, uh, in the same way, I think Varane's been fantastic this season for Real Madrid and for the World Cup winners France. Mm-hmm. He is up there with the very best defenders in the world, um, and, and, and is a brilliant footballer too. So why why shouldn't a centre back who is just at the top of his game be considered for the award as well? But it's it does just doesn't happen, does it? You know, we we always see the attacking players up there among the um, uh, among the shortlisted few who uh, at the at the end of the year, um, yeah, it it would be nice if we could get a bit more variation in um, uh, positions um, because, like we said, we've we've had some great centre backs over the years who've received no recognition um, because they play in an unglamorous position. Um, so yeah, it, it would be nice if we looked at awards like the Ballon d'Or a little bit differently. I you, Probably, if you added up all the statistics and compared differently, you still come up with the conclusion that Ronaldo, and Messi are head and shoulders above most players, above all players most years. Um, but there are some years like this year where you do get extraordinary players in other positions who do deserve um, that 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 award. And I think Modric this year may be one of those examples.
0: Yeah, uh, to your point there, Ghetto. The last non-Ronaldo or Messi player to win it, of course, was Kaká in two thousand and seven.
2: Yeah, as I said, um, and I think the last kind of non-attacking player to win it would have been Cannavaro in two thousand and six, and that yeah. was very linked to um, linked to a World Cup. So um, I do think you know it, you probably need to. Um, to win uh, a major trophy, or at least do very, very well with um, with your national side um, in a in a sort of tournament year, to get that kind of extra recognition, which sets mm-hmm. you apart from Messi or Ronaldo, um, which again, I guess, is a flaw in the way we think about these things.
0: Yeah, all good points there, Gitto. Uh, Jake. Coming to you now, talking about England. Uh, we of course did an England wrap up show. Um, after the unfortunate defeat to Croatia, people were still a little upset with the way it went, but were generally positive. Um, Now with the kind of space from there until now, how do you feel about uh, England's performance at the World Cup? Are you still very pleased that they made it as far as they did or a little disappointed that they didn't go one game further?
3: Um, I think it's a difficult one. Um, I'm obviously happy we got to a semi-final. I didn't think we'd get that far beforehand. But if you really do look at it, based on the matches that happened and I don't think I think the reaction has been a little bit over the top I think you know they beat they beat Panama and Tunisia in the group and they they got a penalty shootout victory against Colombia which is amazing because we don't win penalty shootouts but it was you know it, we didn't beat them in in normal time we didn't beat them extra time and then Sweden who, who did very well at the tournament again they're not really the best team so we didn't really beat anybody that good uh, and the teams we came up against that were good we, we looked second best so it was a good tournament it was definitely a, a a building block for the future we got um a lot of good good experience under our belts uh gareth southgate seemed to you know grow into the role because he didn't want it to start off with he's grown into it uh the nation's back behind the team which i think is very important i think that's, that's been missing with england for years so that, that's that been huge um and obviously so far that's great it's we exceeded expectations we did better we probably you know went further than we should have done it's been a good tournament, but I do think that the reaction has been a little bit over the top. I don't think that we're yet really very near the Belgians and Croatia of this World Two teams we lost to. I don't think we're that close to them. I think, you know, that they were clearly better than us in the matches we played against both of them. So it's, it's. I'm I'm happy with it. I'm I'm optimistic about the future, but I do think that the the coverage and some of the things being done are a little bit over the top. Like you see, some people talk about Gareth Southgate for a knighthood, which is, which is a little bit ridiculous, to be honest. I think. I think it's a good tournament and it shows that maybe England fans get a bit carried away. But, you know, it's good. But again, I don't think it's been as good as everybody's been making out.
0: Mm. You mentioned people getting carried away. Um, Obviously, a lot of external criticism came for the whole uh, it's coming home movement that kind of took over Twitter. Um, Just curious to hear what your thought was on that kind of almost social media campaign and if it was more in jest or if uh, it was as serious as people that are blaming it are, are saying
3: um i don't think it's that serious i don't really, it, it's sort of become a lot bigger than I ever should have done it's the thing about that song it's not even called it's from home it's three lines it's a song that's been around for ages a lot of the song is sort of making fun of england it's sort of it's it's not it's not an arrogant song at all so i think it's i think it's been made a bit a little bit too much of it was just it was a way of showing the support for the team it was a way of getting the whole country together and i i think if you know, other countries reading too much into it as arrogance. I don't think they, they really understand the point of it. It's not it's not to do with uh, thinking we're better than everybody else and that, that football, you know, we made football and, you know, we're the most important football in the nation or any of that stuff. It's it, that, that whole song is sort of very much a, a journey of being an England fan and, you know, the, the heart it, that it brings and then, you know, it, it's very much a, it's very much a tongue-in-cheek that it's coming home things. It was a way of, I don't think anyone really did think we were going to win the World Cup. I think it was just a way of supporting the team, as a way of you know bringing everybody together. I don't think it's it's arrogance or anything like that. It was a little bit ridiculous the way some people have been talking on, on you know the, on the television. I've seen Slavon Bilic and other you know famous pundits from other nations, Roy Keane as well. It's it's a little bit at the top. It, it's, they've completely missed the point of, of the whole thing, to be honest.
1: I'll just uh, I'll butt in here, and as a, as this is a podcast that has um, a Welshman and an Australian on the uh, on it, I'm, I'm sure that uh, uh, Jake isn't going to get too many friends here. I think that one thing that I will say in defence of England is it's okay to um, feel upset by not taking the opportunity, but still be you know satisfied with what the side has managed to achieve. And in that sense, England has had a pretty incredible tournament. The it's coming home thing. It did get quite. I think. I think Gito will probably agree with me. It did get quite, quite old, quite quickly. And I, I, I agree with what Jake's saying in a sense. But I do feel like there were some people that were were like really pushing the narrative a bit too far.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, th- I think Jake, Jake, probably speaks for the majority there in saying that. Yeah, it was a bit tongue in cheek, and I, I think that's the way most people took it. But kind of that there was. De- there was definitely a sizable proportion of people, um, maybe kind of not your typical football fan. I don't know. The kind that just comes along for the bandwagon um, who were just jumping on top of it. The media definitely jumped on top of it. The tabloid media anyway, um, definitely went for it. Um, it was, um, and, and by the end, it, I mean, I, I drove up I, to London with work um, just be- the day before the Croatia semi-finals. Um, and there were, I was listening to the radio and it was Radio 5. It was a very serious, you know, t- radio station. And there was no doubt about it. There were people there who were really believing that the kind of, um, it's coming home. People out in Russia who'd gone out there just, for the semi final and the final and saying, oh no, we're, we're staying here because we're definitely bringing it home, kind of thing. That kind of, and I guess you could say, when you reach the semi final, you can be kind of forgiven, I guess, for having that kind of confidence. But um yeah, I, I, for the most part, I think the English were just, you know, enjoying it for what it was. And that is actually something that they should do. I think, you know, the English are quite self-hating traditionally when it comes to their, their football team. Um, so you can't, you know, I I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing for England that they have had this um, tournament and that they have actually enjoyed watching their national team again. I watched Wales reach the semi-final of Euro 2016 and it was the best summer of my life. You know, if you can't enjoy your team reaching the semi-final of a major tournament, I don't really get why you're interested in football. But there was definitely a feeling, I think, by the time the semi-final came along that it did, in certain sections, boil over into real arrogance. Um, uh, There was was a lot of talk about the final before they'd actually reached there and there was definitely an air of Okay, let's, you know, I know we've got Croatia, but let's talk about the final because, you know, it's there. And I do think there were some in the media who were guilty of thinking too far ahead. And they they are actually, a lot of them, the type of people who've been making excuses then and saying, oh, well, no, we didn't actually believe that we were going to make it. But, you know, when the BBC spends 20 minutes of post-match analysis after France-Belgium discussing how England... Um, can approach, can can deal with France, you know. I, that that did kind of make you think mm, they're getting a bit carried away with this. So I I think Jake is right for the most part, but definitely from kind of an outsider's point of view looking in, um, yeah, it it did get a bit much. It really did. And um, as as a fan of a Welsh team in the English league. I, I have to tell you, I was absolutely so relieved when Croatia did eventually win because the last thing I wanted was every single away fan next season coming down singing about winning a World Cup while we had absolutely no comeback. So um, <laughs> thank you very much, Croatia, for for saving uh, the Welsh public from that.
1: <laughs> I think, um, I, and I concur with what a, a lot of Guido just, just says, and I think that the fact that they're, a lot of the the, the mainstream media in, in Britain embrace the the um, it's coming home sort of movement, and now they're like, "Oh, we were just kidding." It's it makes it even more infuriating. It's fine. It's fine if they're just like, "Look, we did get carried away. That's fine." Because as soon as Australia wins, if Australia beats France, we're already thinking about the final, even though that's not that was never going to happen. Know what I mean? So that's that's fine that they did get. A little carried away. It's just like now they're like, mm, we're we're just kidding." It's a bit like, mm. and they and the on the Croatia semi-final. And now I'm going to sound like I'm trying to go for a beatdown on England, but in reality, there's only about three, four, maybe five players that even start for Croatia. So if if you know English players are good enough to start for Croatia, so Croatia were it wasn't like they were playing Sweden in the semi-finals because Sweden are, were quite a limited side. In reality, and um, I do want to ask Jake just to sort of finish. Does, if you look at the tournament as a whole, obviously it's the best tournament that England have had in in quite a long time. But now that you look at look back on it, really you, the positives is, man, even though you you let Columbia back into the game, you still managed to get back and honestly achieve that big penalty shootout win. You had the very Convincing win over Panama, which doesn't always happen for England in terms of beating smaller nations, the the dramatic goal against Tunisia. But as a whole, and given the way that the the media and the fan, a lot of the fans seem to react as the tournament started started um started rolling along, do you think that this tournament will cover over a lot of the cracks that England are uh, still haven't addressed? Um, I'm not I'm not so sure of
3: that I think it's it's. A summer of progress i don't think you could i don't think it's papering over the cracks i think the thing with england is it's we've got a lot of good players we've done well in youth talk and you know we've been winning youth world Cups. we've been getting to semi-finals their talent's clearly there um and i think now it's it's we've got a manager that sort of can, can really relate to the the new generation and, and can and, and sort of has an idea of playing yes he's probably not the greatest technician he's probably he, he's, there's a reason you know he's he's got the job, but, you know, fair enough. But I think he's, he's really building something and I I, I don't think it's paper over the cracks that much. I think there's definitely been progress under Southgate. I think I like the way he's set up his style. I like the way he's, you know, stuck to, to, to the players that he trusts and, and not gone for those that, you know, uh, a lot of the media were calling him for, to go for before this tournament. I think he has a clear idea of what he wants and I think that can only be positive uh, in the past. We've seen people, uh, we've seen players get picked on reputation. I don't think that's really the case anymore. I think, uh, the players seem to really enjoy playing for England, and, and that can be a positive thing as well. I think there's definitely there's definitely areas of concern. Uh, I'm not completely convinced but by the centre of the filters that, that we had. I don't know. I think we've got some weaknesses at the back. I think uh, Harry Kane, uh, yes, he finished his top goal scorer, but did he really have a great tournament? He, was, he had a very selfless tournament. He did a lot of good stuff off the ball. He did a lot of selfless things, but did did he have a good... He didn't really have a lot, he didn't get involved in open play, he didn't really, none of his goals were that, you know, what you'd say, a, a great striking play, uh, other than just good positioning and good finishing, there was nothing that you'd sort of say, oh, that that, that shows Harry Kane, that's what we see at Harry Kane at Tottenham, we didn't see that. that, that was, that's probably my biggest, biggest noise with the tournament, was the fact that Harry Kane didn't really, we didn't see the best of him, and uh, yes, he's got, he got the top goals, which makes it ridiculous to say, but I, I think there's definitely, that is definitely something we need to work. On. If we continue playing the system, we need to find a way to get Harry King involved in you know, open play in the in the final third in the penalty box. I don't think we have to do that. But no, I, th- I think it's I think it's been a, a positive summer on the whole. I just think we've got a we've got a way to go to challenge those top nations. I think we need to be realistic of where we are compared to other national teams, and and I think that's the one thing that maybe is gonna miss how far we've got. You know. We could say we're top four in the world because that's what we've got to say, but that, that's just not true. I think we're, we're probably a second tier nation uh, and and maybe even to, to, towards the bottom of that second tier at the moment. You know, you saw Croatia uh, and, you know, they, they, they'd they probably be considered below the top nations. And I don't think we're that close to them, I think. But it is a young team uh, and we have to remember that as well. It's a young team that are only going to get better with all the young players we've got coming through as well at youth level. If we can develop them, I think I think it's only, it can only be bright. And I think in two years' time, I think England will be a lot better. And I think we, I, I, I really do think we'll go into, you know, the, the next European Championships with a with a genuine chance of winning it. And and I don't think that was the case this time. It was just to you know, see how far we can get. And it, anything above a quarter final is positive And that's what we got.
0: Yeah, Jake, you mentioned uh, looking forward and uh, how well they could do at the Euros and following World Cup. Uh, on that England wrap-up show I mentioned earlier, we were discussing names uh, that could probably be in the squad around that two- to four-year time span that we talked about with Dylan in Portugal a little bit earlier. And a couple of the names that came up were Lascelles and John DeShelvey. Obviously, uh, you come on and talk about Newcastle a fair bit on this show. Just curious to think uh, to, to hear your thoughts on those two chances for either the 2020 Euros or 2022 World Cup.
3: I would be shocked if Jamal LaSalle doesn't get more than 50 England caps, I think he's, he's a very good centre-back, he's a leader, he's getting better all the time, he's definitely going to be one that plays for England and, and pick up a lot of caps as well, because I think at, at the back we are fairly weak, uh, or, or maybe not weak, we've got a lot of centre-backs that are sort of a similar quality, and I think LaSalle can, can rise above all of those and go on and be a starter for a, for a Champions League club, I think he's that good, uh, and with his leadership as well, it's just a bonus, so I think he's definitely going to be one that features prominently for England. Probably... As soon as this year, I, I can imagine getting called up and capped before we reach 2019. I think that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, I don't think Shelby's ever really going to get back into England. I think his lack of discipline goes against him. I don't think he'd fit in well with the squad in terms of a personality. I think he's very good at being like the main, you know, the main attraction at a club like Newcastle. But I don't think he can go into England and play that role. If you're if you're picking and form this this summer completely and, and you take it all the outside sort of influences out, out of your decision, you may have picked him, I think it would have been a good option to have, but I just think a lot of reasons why John Joe Shelby's at risk and I think Gareth Southgate he's very risk averse and he's probably not gonna take it. So I don't think he's gonna he's one but I think there's a lot of a lot of good young players coming through. Um ola uh, Adamolo Lookman, Brian Mason Mount, just a name just a few that I think could be in there in in, in the next few years. I think we've got a as well. There's lots of good young English players. It's just the fact can we develop them in the Premier League. That's the biggest weakness. That that league. The fact we've got such a good league is a hindrance in a way because they don't get the opportunities. And you see them thrown off abroad now uh, or going down to the Championship. So it'd be interesting to see how this next tier develops. Because there's no doubt there's talent in our youth teams. It's just whether we can get through. That's the one doubt I have. If you know, the, the fact that they're all going to sort of the Bundesliga now does give me hope that sort got of better times ahead. And there's a lot of good young players coming through, and that's, that's really exciting as an England fan.
0: All right, all very good points there, Jake. Um, it will be interesting to see what that England team will look like. Uh, now we're going to talk about player of the tournament, Ghetto. You already mentioned uh, how Modric won the award and you felt was very deserving. Uh, any disagreements uh, between you guys, Dylan, or, or Jake?
1: Um, yeah, Modric seems like a pretty fair winner. He's the most talented player in that Croatia side, and they are a side with a, a number of talented players. But his he stands stands above. He's he's been quite quite exceptional exceptional for Real Madrid over the last few seasons with their Champions League success. I was reading an article a couple of days ago saying how what a how it's such a turn from when he first signed for Real Madrid and. Marca, uh, one of the new papers in uh, Madrid, was saying how he's was one of the most disappointing signings in La Liga history, and he's he's he, he's definitely proven that he's is an incredible talent. Um, and as Gito suggested, I, I think um, Ballon, d'Or, Ballon d'Or is 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 well in contention. I'd imagine it'd be in the along with it be he'd definitely be in the top three for mine. Um, outside of that. Uh, Varane, very, very good shout. Probably the best defender at the tournament, arguably the best defender in the world at the moment, and could be for the next decade. Um, and to be fair, he's even his centre back partner, uh, Samuel Umtiti, apart from the handball against Australia, I thought he, he had a fairly good tournament. And that's a partnership that's just going to go from strength to strength. They're two very, very classy operators at the centre of defence, a player that, um, also deserves a mention the player that picked up the silver ball, I think it's called Eden Hazard. He was shining light in the that uh Belgian side. There was a number of quality players, but I thought that was he that was some of the best football I've seen from Hazard because the thing is is he gets kicked a lot. He gets he gets from post to post, but he, he gets up, he can, he gets on with it um compared to uh, a number of other players in the tournament. Um he's he definitely leads by example in that front and uh he got a few he got three goals a couple of assists and looked really really lively I, I just I've just read an article this morning saying that um sarri wants to keep him at chelsea it will be interesting to see if that's the case after his comments after the third fourth playoff All
0: right and jake uh, what do you think about a player of the tournament
3: yeah i think it's difficult to disagree with modric um he, he's very very good um throughout the group stages, especially uh, perhaps t- perhaps his influence waned as, as the tournament went on, but I think he still stood out as, as you know the standout player in that Croatia team. Um, and and it's all I always think that the player of the tournament has has. I for me, I I prefer if they you know they come from one of the teams that make the final. Uh, I know it's it's an individual award and not a team award, but I think that's that's important. So so and I don't think anyone in France stood out per se. I think they. They played very well as a team and, and, and a lot of the individual players were sort of contained that contained within the system. I don't think we saw the best of Griezmann. I think in Bapé had some nice moments and he's probably gonna be remembered. It's gonna be remembered as his tournament because, you know, France won it and he, he, he scored a few nice goals and sort of another just another consolidation of, of of his talent and how good he could be. But I don't think, you know, he did enough to win play up the tournament. You know, he could could have made a case for Kante perhaps, but then he Had an awful game in the final and got got subbed off before, you know, got to like 60 minutes. So I don't think you can really make a claim for that either. Hazard would have been the other one. I I agree with Dylan. I think he had a a really good tournament and and showed why he continually gets linked to Real Madrid. He's just really, really good. And I think maybe he needs that move now to go and really fulfill it. Because I think at Chelsea, the the environment doesn't suit him Uh, and it sort of plays up to. His his flaws as a as a character, So I think I think he showed in the Belgium team what he can do, and hopefully he can go do that at club level now. I think there would have been a case early tournament. I I've, I've I spoke. Uh, we did the show after the group stages, and I made a case for for Coutinho, but then Brazil obviously went out. I thought he had a good tournament, but you know you can't give it to a player that went out in the quarterfinals. So yeah, on the whole, I think Modric is a good good shout for that, and I think he well deserved. and I agree, he should be in the running for for more individual awards. As we as we come into you know that season of giving out the ballon d'or and things like that, it should be in the running for those.
0: Yeah, all right. Um, sticking with you, Jake. We're going to end with <laughs> the most ridiculous portion of the show, which is far too early prediction for the twenty twenty two winner. They are hosting it in the winter. That is very dumb. Um, but uh, who do you think is going to be the early favorite for twenty twenty two?
3: Yeah. So I think the uh, the last the last thing is. Since 2002, the winners been been from Europe, haven't they? I, I think we've had Italy, Germany, Spain, uh, and now obviously France. So I don't think that trend's going to continue. I think the fact it's going to be played in Qatar, it's going to be the conditions aren't going to be great. I think it's going to suit one of the South American teams. To be honest, I think Brazil got a lot of. They're still going to be, you know, re, they're still going to have a lot of good players by then. They're probably going to have even more coming through, and I think Neymar still be. He'll uh, be 30 then. It's, it's, probably still be still be a prominent figure in that team. I think it's probably going to be Brazil's, You know, they, they, it's about time they won another one. And I think Qatar. I think the conditions where it's held in held in the world are probably going to suit them. Like, it, it's ridiculous to predict now, but if I had to stick my neck out, they won. I think Brazil. I just think just them. That's purely based on, on where it's being held. I don't not based on players because obviously, obviously that can change for years. It's, it's going to probably change quite a lot for all teams. Uh, but I think they're they're probably the best shout at this stage. Um, I think they were a little bit unlucky this this uh, this summer to sort of being come up against Belgium when Roberto Martinez seemed to get everything completely spot on for the first time in his managerial career. So they're a little bit unlucky. I, I think they were probably they they would probably feel annoyed that they only got to the quarterfinals. I think I think they're going to be you know the next World Cup they'll, they'll definitely be up there and, and one of the favorites.
1: It's hard not to see France being a stronger side than they currently are, as as it's been mentioned quite a number of times. They are a fairly young squad. I think it's fifteen of the twenty three are under are under twenty five, and I believe two of the two of the players that are over twenty five are Steve Mandanda and Hugo Lloris. So yeah, quite a quite a strong side. Um, and that being said, I imagine Belgium will be stronger. Germany will be stronger. Of course, they got knocked out of the group stage, but they they've got a plenty of young players coming through. Of course, uh, I think they won the one of the youth championships last year. Of course, their their so-called second string side won the Confederations Cup. So they've got a, a lot of players going through. Portugal, as I as I discussed earlier, will be stronger. I know that I, I gave Jake a bit of stick, but I think um, England will be a stronger side in four years' time. And, and even Italy, I'm very interested to see how they go in the next cycle. They're they're a team that obviously are good enough, should be on talent line, are good enough to be in the World Cup and should be considered contenders. So it'll be interesting to see if they can progress. I'm not sure about Spain. I think maybe they, they need a full-on philosophical rejig. Uh, concerns about Croatia, Modric, Rakitic, Perisic, Zukich probably won't be, uh, almost certainly won't be there. And similar for Uruguay, the likes of Yaya got in. Edison Gavani and Luis Suarez are probably will not be playing for um Uruguay at that stage. Brazil, not too sure, not too sure about them. Like they they didn't always seem to be clicking uh this World Cup. Of course they had their issues in their World Cup that they hosted. Could they click him for this time? Of course they could, because they they're a collection of brilliant players, but if I'm picking it now, I'm going for a France-Belgium final. Uh, and from my perspective, I'll just be happy if Portugal are in the mix. But the question is, uh, Netherlands. Four years <laughs> enough for uh, Clivert and delete and Co. under Ronald Koeman to uh, be contenders?
0: I mean, they should make it. <laughs> and that would be that would be enough for me. I mean... It has become increasingly difficult to judge how good the Dutch players are, but it has become very easy to tell that this kind of transitive period was very damaging. Um, There will not be much experience in this side uh, going forward, aside from maybe Strootman and Van Dijk. Um, Silasen, I suppose, if he's still the number one. But uh, it's a lot of young Dutch players that have not really proved themselves yet. Depay got back on track really well last year. I think Kluivert's move may have come a little early for him to Roma, but I think he'll develop well there. It just may take a little bit. Um, but the, the big question, of course, is what's going to happen up front? Because if Jansen can't turn his career around, that's going to be a big hole, just as we thought it was going to be before the good Jansen year when it seemed there was no heir apparent. Then for one year, it was like, yeah, there's going to be somebody. And then very quickly, that wasn't the case again. Um, but yeah, <laughs> a, a little too far for me to say that the Dutch could be favorites. Uh, in 2022 Gitto on the other hand you still got another bails turn uh, another bails <laughs> another bail tournament and do, yeah do you think you guys have a good shot at 2022
2: oh i think we shoe-ins uh yeah <laughs> you know, I, I i'm hoping that we won't mess up the qualification in four years time we have got a lot of very exciting young players coming through uh gareth bale um aaron ramsey joe allen they're still going to be around Uh, in their kind of early 30s at that stage so yeah most of them you'd expect to still be around so you'd think hopefully um, that um, 2020 may be our best chance to end this incredibly long drought without the World Cup which has been going going on since 1958. Um, More realistic shouts for the tournament uh, winners it is very difficult to say obviously France you know, look like they should be very very strong contenders for the next one because they are the current world champions and like dylan said they are a very young squad most of their key players still have their best years ahead of them um but then again you would have said the same thing for um the german squad four years ago uh you would have said that there was a production line there bringing you know tons of young players in and and We've we've seen that um, winning one World Cup means you're automatically out in the first round of the next one. So um, even though France, on paper, you'd say a, a best um, a best position to really go for it again in four years time, um, you know there, there's there are plenty of other teams who you could say oh they've got good young players like like you said that the German squad is still very very talented. They messed up big time uh, out in Russia, but. Um, you'd expect them to get their act together again. Um the one thing I will say is that um I think one of the real traits of this World Cup is the dominance of of the European teams. Um you know uh, the the Brazilians uh reached the uh quarterfinals, the Uruguayans reached the quarterfinals, but other than that teams from outside of um outside of Europe didn't really perform and and you would have expected brazil to go further uh, than the quarterfinals um and and i think you know that i think the rest one of the things that the rest of the world really needs to look at is why is europe dominating not just in this world Cup but for the last god knows how many world cups i mean i think this is the fourth um final in a row that's been won by the, uh, by, by a uh, um, by by a european team mm. i think I don't think that's happened before. Um so I mean, at the time when you'd think the world game is kind of getting while well, well, the game is spreading out then it's become more of an even playing field. In actual fact, you probably say that the, the money at these European academies, the the infrastructure um and the money that's been thrown at youth coaching in these countries, it's it's probably showing, if I'm honest. Um and these countries like Brazil, Argentina, um, who who have always produced brilliant individuals and who will continue to do so, you'd expect. They just don't quite have um, that. They, they just can't quite compete really at the at the very highest level. They struggle to do it um, these days compared to compared to previous generations. Um, and you know, the money is still all in um, Europe. The uh, best academies really are all pretty much in Europe still. And and you'd say that that is a big advantage, I think, for Europe. And therefore, uh, I, I'd say the, the best candidates for the World Cup in Qatar are still European, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it has been a stretch of dominance thus far. And unless Jake is right and somebody like Brazil show up, it could continue again. But I'm not saying it'll be the Dutch. <laughs> that is our uh, wonderfully... Uh, ridiculous end to the show today. Uh, so guys, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you?
1: Thank you for having me back on the show. It's always a pleasure. My name is Dylan Vella, and uh, you can find me on Twitter by the same name where I'm usually tweeting about uh, local football in the Illawarra in Australia. Uh, but with the EPL coming up, um, I'm going to try and get back into that.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, if you want to um, follow me on Twitter, my uh, my name on Twitter
3: is at Uh you can get me on Twitter at Jake with 2 n write for EPL Index and the Boot Room. I'm too tired to think of a better intro than that. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, cheers, guys
0: Yeah, and I've been your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevrof. You can also find the show at EPL Roundtable. You can email us at eplroundtable at gmail.com. You can find my fantasy embedding writing over at goal.com. Um, what else is going on? Oh, the fantasy show should be back here in a day or two. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And then uh, not too long from now, we're going to start up in earnest uh, on Premier League coverage for the 2018-19 season. No rest for the wicked, etc., etc. Guys, thanks so much for coming on. It was a pleasure as always. We hope you enjoyed the World Cup and our coverage of it. And we'll catch you next time.